Hello and welcome to episode 68 of the Sustainable E-Commerce Podcast, the show dedicated to helping you build your brand for a healthier planet. As always, I'm your host, Giles Smith. And on today's show, we take a look at a brand that's turning the sales of sustainably made bedding basics into social good. Laura McConnell-Conti is the co-founder of Go Kindly, a social enterprise that donates 50% of profits to women and non-binary people experiencing housing stress through charities like Juno and Women's Housing. In our chat, Laura shares her personal journey towards starting a business for good and the journey the brand continues to be on in evaluating the most sustainable way to make bedding basics like quilts and pillows, including taking responsibility for those things at the end of their life. We also explore Laura's commitment to what she calls the kindness circle, how that requires conscious decision-making at all touch points with the brand and how they've distilled all the incredible things they do down to a simple message that both customers, employees and other stakeholders can understand and get on board with instantly. And that, my friends, is the very essence of sustainability marketing. So with that, let's start the show. Laura McConnell-Conti, welcome to the show. Hello, nice to see you, speak to you. We've just been having a good old chat. We have got so much to cover Mm -hmm. uh, in today's podcast because we've got some really, really massive topics that we're both quite passionate about that we want to bash around here and we're going to focus on impact. But before we get into the meat of today, please, Laura, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started with Go Kindly? Well, uh, yeah, my name is Laura McConnell-Conti. I am the co-founder of a betting social enterprise called Go Kindly. Uh, the backstory is that I worked for a number of years, almost 20 years, between 17 odd years, inside other people's brands. So um, yeah, I, I worked as a senior finance professional. I helped people get money and build a lot of other brands. And um, I am obviously a woman. And uh, towards the end of my time doing that, I just realized that um I was really being held back by a lot of discrimination um, in the field and um, that all of the people around me did not see me as a leader and as someone who had potential and I became very frustrated. And so I got up and just decided I can do this for myself. I don't need to be making other people money and helping build other people's brands. I can go do my, my own. So uh, yeah, about four and a half years ago, I uh, walked out and started building my own brand. Um, and I guess Go Kindly is an expression of all the things that I um, felt that the world could do better, and I'm not alone in that. Um, the mere fact we're having this conversation and that there are loads of other brands that are, that are building in a similar way um, means that we're start of a start of a movement that cares about the world, that cares about sustainability, that cares about social impact. Um, and goes into our conversation today. What a great start. Um, fantastic. Thank you, Laura. And so I'm going to go immediately off script because you just said, because I, I do this all the time and I, I sort of sort of half apologize. Um, this is an interesting topic uh, to me. You, you know, you just you just broached the subject. You you kind of felt like you were being held back because you're a woman in, in the corporate uh, world. And we continue to see this, right? We continue to see a misrepresentation of women in the corporate world. But what I find is interesting and really inspiring and compelling is that um i was i had the cause to look back over my interviewees over the past 65 shows just recently and the vast majority were women founders of mm. sustainable social brands right mm. and i just think that's um it's wonderful do you think 
that's because people like you are hitting a glass ceiling and going, screw this, I'm out, I'm going to do my own thing because I can do it better? Or is it because women care more about the planet? I think both. I think you've, you've hit on two things, right? One, we are clever. We are the most educated women in the world. And we get to a point where our skills are not being valued and we look around and go, I don't want to be part of building something like this. I can see that there is a better way to build this and I'm clever enough to go do it. Um, and I think, you know, that's great, but there is a bit of a gap in terms of our ability to access funding. Like we get funded at dismal rates, like 2% of venture capital funding or something goes to us. And so, yeah, often we do stay at the small to medium stage. Um, so there is more of us sort of almost stuck as well, right, because we can't access funding. So, um, yeah, it, it's two things. One that, yeah, there's a lot of us and we're very clever and there's nowhere for us to go. And so, and and then we look at the places that we have been and the skills that we have and the environments that we have been in and go, eh, eh, I ain't building that. <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's those two things combined, in my opinion. Yeah. Right. Back on topic with the day. I'm sorry to take you off completely off track there. That was entirely my No, bad. it's a big part of my story. It's totally uh, fine. Well, it is. It is a big part of the story. And it's a big part, I think, of, um, you know, our ability as a society to steer the capitalism ship towards something that mm -hmm. makes more sense for the modern world. Right. So um, I'm glad we started there. Uh, but all that said, tell us a little bit more before we go deeper again. Tell us a little bit more about what you do with Go Kindly. Sure. Yeah. So our premise is we operate in a social enterprise model. Um, we are a bedding basics brand. So everything in the basics range, this is pillows, duvets, um, you know, the be the bedding basics. So not, not Manchester, but basics. Um, uh, we operate, as I said, in a, in a in social enterprise model. Um, we also, which we'll touch on later, try to operate in a kind of circle where we employ people from places that people would um, struggle to find employment normally. So we work a lot with women who've been trapped outside the workforce for various reasons. Um, we donate 50% of our proceeds to housing programs for um, people experiencing housing stress or homelessness. We work very closely with some charity partners. Um, we're very passionate about Australian made. We're very passionate about sustainable models. So we try to use you no know, single use plastic. We try to use compostable packaging where we can. So we try to operate wherever our touch points are in our supply chain in the kindest way that we can to the world and to the environment. Yeah. Amazing. So bedding basics, essentially, which is, you know, pretty, pretty clear. I mean, one of the things that I loved and one of the reasons I wanted to so desperately to chat with you on the show was just how beautifully you're positioning the brand and telling your story and inviting customers in to be part of it. And I Thank think you. I think you you really stand very clearly apart from most other brands who are even doing things just sustainably and focusing on that part, because you clearly have this even from the above the fold in the very first page, I get this sense that the brand is about social equity. It's about doing things consciously across all levers of your business model. And I, I think, you know, the ability to communicate that much complexity in a very short space of time is very clever. You know, so if I just read out, it says spread kindness while you sleep, 50% of profits donated to women experiencing homelessness right above the fold. And it says shop pillows and quilts. What I love about that is immediately I know exactly what you do. I know exactly mm -hmm. what I think, what things I'm expecting to buy from you. I know exactly where some of my money is going to go. And I know exactly how I can make, make the world a better place just by buying your stuff and then going to sleep at night. Right. And that everything about that communicates that story so beautifully. So oh, huge credit you. to you thank for putting you. that together. I, I don't know whether that was just, that just fell out one day. And you thought, oh, that's a good idea. No, or I mean, we spend a lot of time going, 
We do a lot of stuff. How do we make it simple for our customers? And to be fair, our customers are a big part of our community, yeah. right? Like we are very much a community built organization. Um, yeah, I feel like we have a very close relationship with our customers and our community. Um, and it's a very trusted relationship and they give us a lot of feedback. So yeah, I think it is very deliberate. Like we spend a lot of time going, what is it that our that our customer in our community cares about? Yeah. And they care about getting a good night's sleep and they care that a, that a fair hefty chunk of our profits and that our supply chain is built in a fair and honest and equitable way. Mm. So we spend a lot of time making sure that when customers find us, that they are very clear on what we stand for. Yeah, love that. And and so, you know, clearly you're an, sort of a four impact brand, right? You're clearly supporting, you know, uh, people that are experiencing homelessness and and so on and so forth with your with the profits, you know, a big chunk, 50% of your profits go to supporting those initiatives. What I think is really fascinating about your story on top of that is that you're not doing that at the expense of other things. So one way to increase your impact would be to massively drive down your cost of production by using synthetics, by choosing cheaper alternatives and all the rest of it. And yet you're not doing that. You're managing to balance the sustainability angle with the impact angle, which is about social good and many other things. I think that's enormously admirable. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the choices you made from a sustainability point of view around the materials you're using and how you're thinking holistically around your sustainability profile as a brand before we go on to looking at the impact part. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's never easy. It's And, and I think all brands in this space will tell you that, that you never feel like you're doing enough and you never feel like it's a comfortable decision because you are always weighing up one decision with another. So for instance, we use recycled poly in our in our pillows and that was a very difficult decision to come to. Do we use polyester? You know, polyester is it's not a it's 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 fossil fuels at the end of the day. But at the same time, if you use a recycled poly, um, you know, you you we're actually using something that's already in existence. So, you know, we 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 have to manage that as well. I think we spent a lot of time when we first built our product range talking about do we use a cotton filling? You know, and there is a lot of research out there about the amount of water that cotton uses for instance and and actually poly as a product that you sleep on is much nicer to sleep on than a cotton. It lasts a lot longer, it has a much nicer profile, it can be machine washed. You know, so there is a whole range of decisions that you go through and you think, oh, you're constantly thinking, have I made the right one? Um, but as time goes on and, you know, we're four and a half years in, we feel more and more comfortable that actually the decision to use a recycled poly is a better one than than using 100% cotton, which, you know, it, it cannot be um, machine washed, for instance, and doesn't, doesn't wear as well. Um, so, you know, it's these constant decisions where you're like, oh, God, what decision have I made here and is it the right one? And, and then also packaging, right? Like, our customer in our community understands our packaging kind of story. They, they don't want overpackaged goods. They want to know that their product is hygienic. They want to know that their product is, is packaged when it gets to them, but they don't want layers and layers of packaging. And so for us, it's been very key to find a compostable, a home-grade compostable packaging option. And I know you've had some of those guys on your podcast, which is great. Um, and those those options are more and more available than mm. they were four and a half years ago that when we started out, it was very niche. So, you know, as time goes on, that decision becomes easier and, and from a cost perspective also becomes easier. When we were starting out, compostable packs were quite expensive now the prices come down somewhat so um it's you know it's along the way constantly adjusting those those decisions and reflecting on those decisions and making sure they still feel comfortable and they still they still feel right we use wool in our um, duvets um, because we have trialed a whole range of different fillings and wool holds the heat best 
um, and Australian wool is particularly high quality. Um, but of course, there is we we have quite a vegan um, audience as well who love our pillows, and of course, wool does not appeal to a vegan audience. So you're you're always looking at that and going. Well, you know, is there another way we could have done that with with recycled poly? So the customer, sorry, the product journey is never a simple kind of cut and dried one in an environment like ours. You're always looking at it and thinking, okay, well, you know, how could I do this differently? How could I do packaging differently? How could I do product development differently? Um, yeah, and I suppose when we're thinking about product development for the future, um, Australian made is probably the biggest thing we've, we face into at the moment. So all of our products are Australian made very deliberately because we like to control the supply chain. Mm. That works very well in our favour in our early years because um, I had a tiny baby, so I couldn't fly into um, overseas easily to get to factories, which was important to me. And then COVID hit. So actually it worked very well for me the last four odd years that we were only Australian made. Mm. You know, as costs go up and inflation is playing a game with us at the moment, it's not not an easy conversation. We are passionate about Australian made because we do want to pay fair wages. That is a very big part of our business model and our community and our customers value that. And that is, and along with sustainability in terms of environmental sustainability, one of the other biggest pieces of feedback we get is that people like Australian made. They like to know that they are supporting Australian jobs and that they can trust that people are being paid fairly. But again, that's not comfortable, right? That it costs more onshore mm. than it does offshore. It's not, it's not easy. Um, so yeah, I guess to reiterate that you, you're constantly looking at your product and your supply chain and going, how do I do this in a way that is that is best for the world um, and that meets our needs. Yeah. It, once again, we've talked about it many times now on the show. It's about making conscious decisions that the best that you can make at the time within what's reasonably accessible to you. Um, and I think you've just demonstrated that beautifully. You know, now that the world is opening up, obviously that brings in alternative product materials, uh, potentially, you know, recycled poly for quilts to serve your vegan community from right. overseas, perhaps. Um, and obviously the cost of living crisis you know, we, it, it's a great challenge for all sustainable brands at the moment because we, you know, we, we know inherently that sustainable materials are more expensive to use in the production process than, than cheaper synthetics, right? I mean, that's yeah. it just is at the moment. So are you just strategically, are, are you exploring uh, overseas suppliers? And if so, what are the things that you have in mind that would help you choose that? Yeah, so our, our current product range, no. We have very good relationships with our suppliers here in Australia and very trusted and I feel that we have a lot of flexibility um, in terms of options mm. with the existing product range. I think it's for future product mm. development, so our products on our roadmap. That's where the challenge comes in. Um, they're products that perhaps we haven't had a relationship with the supplier onshore. That the, do you know the manufacturing capability in Australia has also been decimated? Mm. So that's another thing you have to, you know, since the the nineties, probably earlier. There's less and less manufacturing capability here in Australia for certain products. So we have to manage that as well if we think about our product lines going forward and what our roadmap might look like. So yeah, I, I, for our existing products, no, we're very comfortable that we have a good kind of relationship and good product development with those for an ongoing product range but yeah. it's what what would new products look like what would new customer demands look like and how would we meet those and yeah i think from a manufacturing perspective the reality is that there will be some things that will need to be done offshore yeah and that's the yeah the reality yeah let's look at the flip end of the of the supply process uh, for a moment and talk about um end of life obviously you know bedding materials are a problem from a sustainability point of view because they yeah. often lend up they're very bulky and they gross they're, they're pretty disgusting gross. you can't you know there's no secondhand market for them no nobody wants a manky pillow no nobody wants that <laughs> and so they all end up in landfill typically 
Um, what are your thoughts around that? Yeah, so it was one of the it was one of the key problem areas identified when I started the brand. Like when I started the brand, I wanted to have a circular product. For me, it did not make sense to start a brand that put more shit into the world with no way to to like to to close the loop. So it was a very hard decision for me upfront to la- to launch the brand without circularity. So it took us probably three years to get to the point where we could find a pillow recycling capability. So yeah, I, it it wasn't easy to get to this point. Um, and find a, a circular sort of solution to, to pillow waste and to bedding waste. Um, it took us a lot. Yeah, it, it, it's not an easy thing to do. And I think as with compostable packaging, it is getting easier. Like there's more and more options out there. There are more and more fabric recyclers out there. But mm. um, most of those don't deal with mixed fillings. So they don't deal with mm. a recycled poly plus a cotton outer, for instance. So when you return a piece of clothing, you know, you return cottons to one thing and it gets sorted and it goes into, you know, singular kind of fabrics um, and pillows mostly have multiple fillings. So um, that's been very hard to manage, very expensive to manage. So finding a circular kind of solution to, to being able to offer pillow recycling to our customers has been a huge win for me because that's what I wanted right from the start. Um, it's also wonderful because um, we have very loyal customers and a very loyal community that value the pillow recycling program that we run. And it really helps us build a trusted relationship if customers know and can see that actually, like we care, we, we, we build something with circularity in mind, we demonstrate that it gets recycled and it's, you know, it's a very genuine relationship we have with our customer. So mm. yeah, we're very proud of it. Um, we're very proud that it's, that's the first recycling pillow recycling program in Australia. Um, and it's built, built like specifically for us. Um, and yeah, it's, it's probably one of the proudest things we've done in the last four and a half years. Well, you certainly should be proud of it. And, you know, not just because you've achieved that, but also because right from the start, you had that as one of your North Star things to achieve, right? And I I think increasingly brands that are coming into the marketplace and starting out from scratch now, you really do need to think about end of life. It's It may not be a regulatory requirement yet, but it is coming. Mm -hmm. And it's certainly a market requirement and growing as a market requirement that people don't want to have to chuck stuff in landfill three years down the line and, they, and these things simply don't last yeah. for a human lifetime right they, they just don't last they get as you said they get disgusting um and you know so eventually every every i don't know what the recommended periodicity is but let's say it's every couple of years or something like that you probably want to replace them and what do you do with all that stuff yeah i mean there's two things in that you want to build it in a way that it does last the longest amount of time possible, right? Like circling sure. back to the cotton pillow, it just doesn't last. It clumps and it builds up and it's disgusting and it's like sleeping on, I don't know, clumps of something. So, you know, if you build it with a recycled poly product, which was the dilemma we had initially, at least you know that it's going to last for two, three years and it will go mm. through the washing machine. You can keep it clean. And then when it does get to a end of its life, there is an option to recycle it. You know, it's it's building products that last. It's building products that are made well. Like I think, you know, especially in fast fashion, I mean, there's a fast bedding, you know, thing right. as well. But, you know, it's building things and making things that are made well that last for the maximum amount of time possible and then knowing that when it can no longer last, that there is something you do with it. You know, those yeah. two things are often missed in building, especially in the fast homewares, fast fashion sort of world fundamental principle of sustainability is that you make products to last fundamental principle um you know we can get 
really purist about the materials that are being used and go oh, organic is better than synthetic but yeah. maybe it's not if it's you know if it lasts half as long or a third as long Correct. or a third amount of time it's actually not the most sustainable option and it takes mountains and mountains of water that you've stripped out of the murray darling system i don't actually think that that's a good outcome for the environment right. either right no exactly and and just on that note this is this whole space is is I think very, very confusing for everybody, right? Is what yeah. what's the best choice? Because I was just reading a research report from Denmark a couple of days ago, and this is actually something that had been out for a while, saying that uh, organic cotton tote bags are twenty thousand times more impactful on the planet than a plastic bag. So, it, you know, in other words, you have to use twenty thousand of the of the thin HDPE plastic bags, takeaway plastic bags, to have the same level of impact as one organic tote bag. And yes, of course, organic tote bags don't create the trash. So there's the plastic angle, which is where everyone's gone down, but losing sight of the big picture, which of course is, you know, is frightening. Now, I don't know whether that's um, current science. You know, once again, this is all very confusing. We just got to do the best thing we can. But exactly. I love, fu fundamentally, I love the way you're thinking about it. Can I ask you, um, are you able to name drop who you're working with as your take back provider, as your uh, fabric recycling provider? I wish I could remember their name. Um, I, I could if I could actually remember. I remember his name, but I don't remember the name of the company. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No worries. Um, just thought it'd be interesting to see who it, who it was because I'm always always fascinated, and you know, part of the show here is to is to make connections and and help everyone out, right? So. Oh sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, th these guys are part of the University of New South Wales, so okay. they have a um they have a yeah a fabric recycling program as part of the University of New South Wales, right? Um, and they've received a lot of government grants, and they're doing amazing work with um yeah basically taking textile waste, all kinds of different textile waste. So mm. they're very good at the sorting process, which is why we've loved working with them because we have different types of fabrics and different types of things that need to be sorted um, and they sort it and they use the different thing different pieces for different products you know like some of them go into roof tiles some of them go into carpet underlay some of them you're very good at working out and getting grants from both the university and the state and federal governments yeah, okay. um, to put the products back into different uses yeah well okay what what a fantastic context that gives us for moving on and talking about impact uh, because we were chatting uh, before the show about the importance of brands having an impact and then looking looking at a full circle of impact rather than just one dimension of impact. Um, so, Laura, I know this is something that's very, very passionate. You're very, very passionate about. So what are your thoughts on this? What are your thoughts on, first of all, why should businesses these days make an impact? And secondly, how can we balance impact across our overall business? Yeah, something I'm quite passionate about and I probably didn't realize until recently how unique small and growing brands and small and unique sustainable brands are and how powerful and how much power we have in this space because we are often built from the DNA up with impact and with purpose like at the central core of our DNA. Um, and so, yeah, dealing with some some large conglomerates recently has really brought home for me how powerful um, it is to know what your impact is and to have impact built into everything you do. So we talk a lot about our kindness circle when it comes to impact. And that is, you know, at, at every touch point in our supply chain, at every touch point in our consumer journey and our customer customer interactions, that we that we behave with integrity and that we we make decisions with the environment and with people at their core. And I I I, I often I think that often that small brands forget how powerful that is and how much impact that has on the world. And I, and I know we're a social enterprise, but I do think it's possible to do outside of a social enterprise kind of concept as well. I think it's possible to run a sustainable 
brand under capitalism, which is doesn't just strip resources out of the world and, and treat people with the bare minimum of integrity. And um, that's really important to me that, you know, that the brands pay people fairly, that brands treat their employees well, that that brands um, interact with their supply chain in a way which which is respectful. Um, you know, just simple things like payment terms, you know. I think more and more when you when you deal with large conglomerates, you realise that they pay on 50 days and 70 days and 120 days and whatnot, you know, and just that stuff is not respectful of, of people and it's not respectful of it's not a respectful way to do business, and I think um, I think sustainability can be can be more than than just environmental impacts and just um, and and just recycling. You know, I, I think it is possible to build a brand, social enterprise or not, in a way that is respectful of all of those relationships. Um, and it, yeah, it's one of my one of the things that's top of my mind at the moment. And you were just you were sort of talking about some recent interactions you had with you know big corporates and and bigger entities, and obviously you've touched on one thing there, which is payment terms. Um, what are the other differences that you see between, for example, how your brand operates and how some of the bigger, obviously for-profit brands operate, and 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 fundamentally what that means about their the differences in their DNA and their ability, really fundamentally their ability to actually do things in a more uh, um, for good way. Yeah, well, I mean, there's, there's a lot of vision statements, you know, and there's a lot of impact statements that get put out into the world at the moment. And while I admire them for giving it a crack, I think when it's not built into your DNA, ultimately everything comes back to what profit can you get out of a customer, right? What product, what's your product margin and how much can I make out of this? And, you know, while you need to make a profit, I think when you build a small brand, you can build in profit and good at the same time. And packaging for instance it's it's and, and making decisions is much easier as well you know you can make decisions about compostable packaging and if it costs you 10 cents more well then it costs you 10 cents more you know and often our customer will pay that 10 to 20 cents more because they care about it when you're running a big brand that 10 cents is, or that 20 cents or whatever is like nah that's coming off my margin i'm not i'm not going there i'm not going to do that it's too expensive you know whereas i think when you build a small brand you have that connection to your customer to know your customer cares and your customer wants you to pay that extra 10 cents because they want the world to be better. And that direct feedback from customers, I think, is crucial when you run a small brand as well. That gets lost a bit in, in big conglomerates, I think, and in large brands that, like, your customer is why you exist. Um, and so, and the world and, and the environment is part of why you exist as well. And then paying that extra 10 cents is probably worth it. I think that the, the large brands often just want to maintain the status quo and and tweak around the edges and not upset the status quo in terms of margin. Um, and I think small brands have a lot of power when it comes to yeah. that. Yeah, and I think you've just touched on something which is so powerful that we have to drill in a little bit further, which is that fundamentally that gives us as small brands a massive competitive advantage over the big brands. Yep. Because you know, because it's easy to lose sight of, oh, they, they, you know, they've got all the power in the world because they're big. They've got all the money in the world. Yeah, well, you know, they've got more money than you. Let's be honest, they've got more money than you, which means they can spend more at the top end. They can spend more on advertising. They can spend more on doing stuff. Yep. But what they don't have is the deep relationship and understanding, typically, of their customer. Correct. And they also don't have trust with their customer. They think that they do, but often their customers do not trust them. Right. All it takes is one or two things for them to slip yeah. up on and the customer go, uh uh, I'm out. I knew this was happening and I've got yeah. proof. And so small brands, you know, we build we build trust with the customer. We deliver what we say we're gonna deliver. We build a place where they know they get what they are told they get and 
that matters, yeah. right? I, I, and large, big incumbent firms, they don't have that. They do not have the loyalty that they sometimes project into the world as yeah. having. And we know for sure that that Gen Z or Gen Z or whichever way you want to say that and, and beyond inherently have distrust. They inherently disbelieve Correct. everything that brands tell them. They yep. assume yep. that brands are lying to them. That's, lying right, to that, them. Absolutely, Correct. they assume that. And so as small brands, we've got the opportunity to tip the scales on that and 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 deliver through experience, you know, a better engagement with the customer to show them that there's actually, you know, alternatives, which fundamentally comes back full circle to putting pressure back on the big brands again, because they're not going to keep those customers when the experience is fundamentally true, authentic and better with the small brands, right? 100%. So we have a lot of power. Yep. We have a great, and, so and for much. me, this is. Both as brands and as consumers, all of us as consumers have a lot of power. Yeah. Oh, totally we do. And, and so, you know, this comes back to, I think, episode one of this show overall, where my philosophy with creating this show was to show and demonstrate to everybody how much power we have and how important it is that as small brands, we are leading the way here because as small brands, we influence the consumers. We have that unique and very hard to replicate relationship with our consumers so we can educate them. We can we can educate them about material choices. We can educate them about what to expect with shipping, about how to expect uh, uh, brands to behave, which means that our consumers are more educated, which means they're going to go back to the bigger brands, put pressure on the bigger brands. And once the bigger brands are forced to change because they're losing market share, now we have the whole capital world doing the right things a better economy right a better economy yes. fundamentally and yeah. so i wanted to make sure that we never lose sight of that as small brands because we are in an immensely powerful position yeah i'm nodding away here i agree with 100 percent of that right like big picture like most of us are doing this because we want a social level change we want systemic social level change not because we want to become millionaires not because we want to become the next maya we're doing it because we we actually want the world to be better and we see this as a tool to drive to drive that change yeah so filling in the dots a little bit, though, I mean, you know, the reality is it does cost more to make good, sustainable products. It does cost it does, more yeah. to make sure that everybody in the supply chain is looked after properly. Yep. Um, and, you know, the flip side is we've got pressure at the top end. Ads don't work as well as they used to anymore, et cetera, et cetera. So it comes down ultimately to storytelling, I think. Um, you know, when you were acquiring customers and once we've acquired customers through the customer journey to make sure that the whole story, like you said, was transparent, authentic, and it gives them that great mm -hmm. experience. I mean, because obviously you're very, very good at this. I don't know what, how, I don't know if you realize just how good at this you are. Um, you can thank my co-founder, David, my partner. He, um, yeah, he's, he's, he's the guru at this. He spends a lot of time learning to do it. Well, then um, I will thank David and, and re we should <laughs> recognize David uh, very clearly. What are your thoughts on what are the things, some of the things that you do to deliver that authentic experience about who your brand is in the customer journey, not just pre-purchase, but post-purchase as well? Yeah, I mean, I, I've alluded to it before and, and perhaps even said it is um, we see them as a community and our engagement with them is very much as a community, as a partnership. We listen to their feedback. Um, we very genuinely develop product lines in collaboration with feedback from customers. That's how we've gotten to this point. So it's very embedded into the way that we operate. We're very proud of our customer service. We're very proud that real people answer phones and real people reply to emails and messages um, and that they are very central. Our community and our people and our customer is very central to the decisions that we make. Um, I think also I think all of us are very um, empathetic, very um, 
very, we're people with experiences outside of mainstream Australia. We're used to feeling like we need to over-explain ourselves. We're used to feeling like people do not understand us because of our experiences in the world. And that's everything from people on our studio floor doing the pick and pack and logistics right through to both myself and my co-founder, feeling that um, storytelling has to be key to who we are and how we operate because we're not normal, you know. And so I think we've had to learn the hard way how to engage people around us in our journey and how to build trust because when you sit a little bit outside the norm, you're seen as othered and trust is not automatically granted to you. So um, that's a very big part of our DNA as well. Um, you know, and it, it comes through in everything and just believing that when our customers give us feedback that they're right, you know, they know whether or not that product worked for them. We're not going to argue with you. You know if that worked or not. And we will treat you as such with respect. We will give you refunds when refunds are due. We will not argue with you if your parcel doesn't turn up, for instance. It's like treating your customer with respect and they repay us for that. And yeah. And and we also know that that our product is with people every night. Our product is, it's, it's an essential part of their lives. Um, and we like to embed that into our conversations with them. You know, we, we write a handwritten note that says, we hope that this helps you sleep well. If you're a returning customer, we have a program that tells us you are a returning customer and you get a specific handwritten note that says, thank you for being a returning customer. You, Yeah, our email flows are set up to address certain things in your life. You know, you, you've been with us for two years, for instance. Did you know at the two-year mark, you might need something different. You might need to do our pillow recycling program. So it's really understanding how and where we interact with their lives and valuing that interaction with their lives. Yeah. Once again, it comes down to, I won't say leveraging because that's not quite the right word, but building that relationship with your customer yeah. in a way and knowing that's- knowing them. Right. In, in a way that's um, a mutual relationship as opposed to a, how can I sell you more crap? Exploitative selling you more crap. Yeah. Exactly. And I, yeah. I love that because- you know, fundamentally, that is the essence of the power that we have as small brands. And, and you know, if we're not doing it, if we're not doing things like, you know, tracking the fact that they've, they're have they a second time purchaser and then doing something meaningful as a result or, oh, you've had your pillow for two years, it might be time to, you know, leverage our, our take back program and, you know, here's, here's how to get a fresh pillow or whatever it might be. You're A, missing the opportunity to sell them more stuff, which, of course, um, means that you're missing an opportunity to make a more impact aligned with what your impact goals are, number one. But secondly, you're actually missing an opportunity to show that you actually have some meaning in their life and that you're tracking with them and you're helping them live a better life. Um, Correct. So marketing, when it's done well, is a very powerful symbiotic relationship. Well, it's also a seamless part of your customer experience and a seamless part of your operations. If right. it's not, if it's done well, I think marketing is a seamless part of your whole identity. Um without being cheesy. Mm. Um, and it can be done in a way which is respectful. Yeah. So we, we came into the conversation talking a little bit about the the circle of kindness, I, th I think you mentioned. And the view of circle of kindness is, if, if I put my words over what I think you were talking about, it was, okay, it's important, obviously, as a brand to be for purpose and to make an impact and to have and do good in the world. But it's also, you can't do that without uh, thinking sustainably. You can't do that without honoring the people that your customers and you can't do that without honoring your suppliers and making sure that everybody has a living wage in this in the supply chain is well looked after and so on so it's a it's a holistic balancing act with all of those things is that a fair definition it is a very fair summary okay cool. yes so the challenge with all of that from a communications point of view is that it's really hard as a brand 
to be all things to all people. It's really hard to say all these wonderful things that you're doing without confusing and leaving just a mush of stuff that's going on. I'm doing all these things, aren't I great? What's your view on that? Because I think you you guys are very, very good at focusing in on the impact that you're delivering and what the purpose of your brand is, but still keeping this balanced approach to everything else. Um, do, do you have some some words of wisdom that you can share with brands that are trying to do something similar to you? Look, it's a lot. Um, and to be honest, we don't often communicate as much of what we do as we probably could because we don't want it to be distracting. Ultimately, we want to deliver the best bedding in Australia that we can, the best bedding basics that we can. And so we spend most of our time putting energy into delivering the best, telling people about the best product that we deliver and in, into, into supporting people experiencing homelessness is basically the two, two prongs that we spend most of our energy communicating. I think the rest of it comes out because of the authentic way we operate and live. And we probably don't speak about it as much as we could because we don't want to confuse the customer and we don't mm. want to overwhelm. Um, but I think when we do and where we do, it's authentic. It's not, um, it's not done in a forced way. It's us living and breathing our values and living and breathing the way that we operate day to day and the way that we make decisions. Um, so, yeah, I think it is quite important, especially when there are so many touch points that you that you go through to keep it very crisp and to keep it as clear as you can, because you don't want to overwhelm the customer either, I think. And it can be a lot of, um, it can be a bit of, a, I think a lot of people feel overwhelmed by by trying to do too many things. For us, that doesn't feel overwhelming because for us, it's an operating model and it's a way of living and a way of making decisions. It doesn't overwhelm us. It guides us more than anything. But I I understand that for other people, it can feel overwhelming and for a customer, it could feel overwhelming. So we do try to be very crisp and very clear about the things that we communicate outwards, you know, and that is in that above the fold stuff. That is the, you know, quality bedding and supporting people experiencing homelessness. They are the two key things we want you to walk away and remember. Mm. But there's also these other things that when you look a bit further down, you will also see which will build trust and which will help you understand how we operate and how we make decisions. So, yeah, that's probably our guiding principles is the really big, clear things, crisp up front. But also underneath, there's all these other ways of operating that that are really important to us as well. Yeah, brilliant. So insightful to hear that uh, because what you're doing is you're covering many bases with for the customers that want to go looking for, okay, what are you doing about take-back schemes? What are you doing about sourcing? What are you doing about um, equality, all the rest of it? For all those people who, who want to go and spend some time trying to find that out, it's all there. But for everybody in that first touch point, spread kindness while you sleep. I mean, how easy, how much more easy can you make it for people to do good than clear. do yeah. something when they're sleeping? You know, I mean, yeah. it's, it's literally clear. not, it's not any, and it's very clear. Um, 50% of profits donated to women experiencing homelessness. I love that. You know, it's very clear exactly what you're going to get with this brand. There is no fluff. There is no confusion. Uh, and then you have everything else beneath it. So I just love the way that you've thought that through and, and, um, just want to, honor the decisions that you've Thank made get, you. in getting to that because it, it, it can't be It's also important for our employees as well. You know, we also right. think through how do our employees talk about us? How do our customers talk about us? We want our employees to be able to say, this is where I work and this is what I deliver. I mean, yeah. sure, I sell bedding, but I work I work in a brand that gives back to the world. And, yeah. you know, here's the charities we work with and here's the things we deliver. Like, it's also really important that they have a feeling of being able to communicate that as well. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think that Christmas is not just for us as founders. It's not just for the customer. It's also for our employees. Yeah, yeah. And, and absolutely. Um, because the reality is the bigger you get, the harder it is to keep everybody on mission. 
And so the simpler it has to be, the more distilled and refined uh-huh. that has to be for everyone to just get it and get on with it. Correct. Yep. So love that. Absolutely love that. So what a journey that you've been on for four and a half years now. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. What does the next couple of years look like? What are you really excited about that you're working on? Oh, I'm really excited about um, being able to hand over some of the roles and responsibilities that come with being a startup founder. The two of us have really had to take on, you know, a lot of the hustle stuff. You know, a lot of us have had to be the accountant, but, you know, my co-founder and I, one, you know, one, we've had to be the accountant. We've had to be the lawyer. We've had to be the HR person. We've had to be the marketing coordinator. We've had to be the, you know, we're, we're getting to the point now where we're able to, um, yeah, we're able to hire people to do those jobs for us, which just feels so exciting. Yeah. Um, I'm really, really excited about that. Um, I'm, I'm also excited about our product roadmap because it, um, yeah, uh, you know, while I can't speak too much about the products we're, we're sort of thinking through, it's exciting to be able to think through new products um, and to have the headspace to think through it now, I think, mm. like now that we're handing over some kind of the operational kind of doing roles to other people. Um, it's nice to have that headspace. Um, yeah, and it's really nice for both of us as co-founders as well to be able to um, focus a little bit less on just filling gaps and a bit more on um, like strategically thinking, having space, which is very uncomfortable. Like you'll often hear that from founders like, oh, gosh, I've got space. What am I going to do with it? You know, and then they fiddle around and poke things and try and interfere in other people's lives. because And end up breaking stuff. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. So it feels really nice to be like, okay, I've got some space because I've handed over accounting to somebody and I've handed over marketing to somebody. Um, Being able to grow and learn um, is is really exciting. Um, And obviously as the brand grows, some of that storytelling stuff changes. You you need to be able to make sure that other people have a strong grasp on the storytelling and have a strong grasp on the identity of the brand and the products. So there's lots of challenges there as well, but I think that growth is really exciting for me and the opportunities that that growth for me personally and for my team um, is really exciting. Yeah, amazing. So product line extensions of uh, an obvious one um, and continue to build the customer base, obviously, as well. Thinking, um, about, are you thinking about international expansion at this point, are you already overseas? Oh, we aren't, but we are always getting questions from places like Singapore and New Zealand. Um, so look, it, we, yeah, we would love to. Um, it really, yeah, we'll see where it goes. We'll mm. see where it goes. We would love to. There's certainly markets that there is demand in. Um, it's just managing that with onshore growth. Yeah, absolutely. And so where do people go and get your amazing bedding basics? Yeah, so we're predominantly an e-com store at uh, gokindly.com.au where you'll find all of our products. We uh, also have X Studio, a small outlet in Coburg in Melbourne's inner north which is open um, from nine to one every day. But we would say check us out online. And then if you happen to live nearby, pop in one day. Amazing. Laura, thank you so much for sharing your story and talking about a very deep topic with us today on the show around impact and balancing that across your business. And I, I do genuinely think you're, you're doing such amazing things there. Uh, you know, obviously you've got, you know, big level certifications like B Corp and so on, which is all very nice. But at the end of the day, fundamentally, your brand is built on the DNA that you and your business partner believe very deeply in. And that, that comes across in everything that you do. And so thanks for sharing all that with us on the show today. It's been really great talk, talking to you. You're welcome. And thanks for joining the show. As I said, I'm a big fan. I, I love hearing about other people building other sustainable brands as well and hearing their perspectives. So thank you also for the podcast. Okay, back to Giles again for my top takeouts. Firstly, today's conversation was another reminder of just how important it is to consider the full product life cycle when choosing what materials to use. It could be that organic materials are the best choice. 
However, with no possibility for a resale market, Laura chose to use recycled poly for pillows, making them more durable, machine washable, and allowing her team to figure out an end of life recycling program. Next, Laura introduced us to what she calls the kindness circle. The philosophy that every touch point with your brand should embed kindness. Kindness for the environment with the choice of materials, shipment packaging and logistics. Kindness for your customers in the service and respect you show them. Kindness for your suppliers and their staff to ensure great working conditions. And kindness with things like payment and commercial terms. And last but not least, kindness to your community in delivering impact relevant to your brand. And that leads me onto my last point. You've heard me talk about congruency before. Congruency between your brand's activities and the impact you're making enables you to distill down all the complex moving parts about how your brand is actually making a difference. And then it allows you to explain why your brand should be trusted, what it means when your customer buys from you. For Go Kindly, that congruency helped them to distill the simple yet powerful message of spread kindness while you sleep. 50% of profits donated to women experiencing homelessness. If you can't see a straight line between what your brand makes and the external impact you're having, it might be time to take a fresh look at your impact model. So once again, I want to say thanks to Laura for sharing her story on the show today. I'll be back again with you next week with more stories from the world of sustainable e-commerce. So until then, keep building your brand for a healthier planet.